Welcome to the gaming's greatest generation podcast where we discuss news, reviews, and all things video games with your hosts the OG Leo Holly, the overachiever Mark Lombardi, and Mr. Contradiction himself Matt Harms. Stay tuned for ways to connect with the G3 community, contribute to the show, or tell us about your greatest gaming experiences. Now, let's get to the show. It's a brand new month and alas, another solo show. But have no fear, dear listener, your boy Ice is ready to go. We've got some gaming news to cover that'll surely make you squeal. And I've got my own takes, but I'm not sure how you'll feel. Now that Gamescom is over and fall is right around the corner, we'll also talk releases, which might make you pre-order. And while it's truly unfortunate I'm not joined by Thing 1 and Thing 2, <laughs> their controllers are still warm, and next week they'll join anew. So let's get settled in for another banging G3 show. And with only the countdown left, it's three, two, one, go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome for another episode of the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, known as Ice on all things gaming and social media. And here for episode 58 uh, on September 4th, we're going to go ahead and talk about some games. We're going to talk about some news. And we're going to talk about hopefully some stuff that'll keep you entertained. Maybe just a little. So that being said, I'm going to get back to a regular pitch tone, and we're going to talk about uh, some of this interesting stuff right off the top. So the first piece of news, which some of you may have caught on social media, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, this uh, coming out of The Verge, apparently there was a leak. Logitech had previously gone ahead and annotated that they were working on some type of uh, gaming device, uh, but we had no you know, confirmation on what it was. But some leaks, uh, leaked images came out that basically solidified it is a cloud-based handheld device. Uh, they're partnering with Tencent Games on this one. And it, it looks kind of interesting. So if you are able to see the pictures, uh, basically it looks very Switch-ish uh, with the exception that the uh, it has offset um, joystick or thumbstick toggles. Uh, but it's kind of interesting because it apparently runs uh, off of an Android style OS and has access to Google Play Store, Xbox, uh, the Xbox Cloud Gaming, GeForce Now. Uh, there's Steam in there as well, or at least according to the image. So it's kind of interesting on where they're going with this one. It seems to be a device that is predominantly aimed at the handheld market and particularly the handheld cloud market, which I think is pretty smart because we've heard a lot of stuff out of folks basically saying like, hey, you know, I'm tired of all this cloud talk and I have to use my phone and my phone, obviously like that runs down the batteries. Not everybody is going to go ahead and update their phones every year or two, um, you know, as these devices get more and more expensive. So I think it's a little interesting that Logitech is making this move, especially if uh, it's going to use what is rumored to be using here, the Qualcomm's uh, G3X platform, uh, basically for run speed and everything like that. Whether or not it's an OLED display or just a, a normal LED style display is yet to be seen. Uh, but it's pretty interesting, nevertheless. Uh, supposedly, there's also uh, a potential mute button and a micro SD card expansion slot. Not 100% sure why you'd need an expansion slot unless you were giving the option of not just being cloud based and you were going to go ahead and kind of do a lot of the Steam Deck where you have cloud-based, but you can also natively play some stuff off of the console after after downloading to uh, that card. Yet to be seen, there's nothing by way of release date or prices yet, 
Uh, that being said, Logitech has previously said they want to go ahead and have uh, their new gaming device available later on uh, this year in 2022. So we'll see. If it was up to me, I'd say this thing, especially with all the competition out there between the Switch, which is constantly flying off shelves, uh, and the Steam Deck, which is now being something of a competitor, but far more niche and, and based towards the PC market. I think these guys would be really good. Logitech, that is, would be really good to go ahead and try to place this thing at like, let's say a 199 price point. Um, you know, it's not super dirt cheap. I don't know what we're talking by way of uh, the manufacturing process, how much that costs. But I think 199 is pretty solid for you to go ahead and be able to get it into uh, people's hands. I mean, you're talking the switch is still roughly $300. You might be able to catch it on sale here and there for less than that. But uh, Nintendo also has its name and its IPs behind that product. So I think they're fair to go ahead and ask for that, that price point. Plus it's a hybrid console. This is something that is more akin to uh, the switch Lite, which I believe off the top of my head is something to the effect of $200. So um this will be an interesting one. We'll see how this news develops and if Logitech actually comes out with more details about this device in the near future. I'm assuming now that Gamescom is over, they they can't keep much quieter on this, especially if they're trying to go ahead and get ready to hit the markets. You want to have uh, some level of saturation uh, in the knowledge base before you go ahead and put it out there for, let's say, a fall release for, for some of these holiday sales. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You know, the... The gamesmanship on is entirely on Logitech, and in, in this case, since it seems like Tencent is simply just a financial backer. Moving right along to uh, the next piece of information that uh, is also coming out of the Verge. This one was interesting, but not so interesting, and I'll, and I'll explain a little bit why. Uh, Microsoft apparently reaffirmed in some statements from Phil Spencer himself that they plan to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for several more years. Uh, and that's kind of the quote, several more years. So interesting because we've heard this previously out of Microsoft proper, uh, you know, in kind of their PR tongue back somewhere in February, I want to say earlier this year, uh, that they were not going to go ahead and strip away uh, Call of Duty from its player base on other consoles. When they say other consoles, I mean, last I checked, there's no Call of Duty on Switch. So they're specifically referring to PlayStation. Um, but the fact that Phil Spencer went ahead and said this reaffirming that this is going to be a commitment well beyond, you know, kind of the normal agreement that PlayStation had with Activision and Call of Duty, which everyone is presuming ends in 2024. Um, it, it's again, it's kind of non-starter information because it's like, okay, cool. Well, you guys had already made that statement, but this coming out of Phil himself goes ahead and adds a little more credibility. The part that to me is is newsworthy in this is the fact that this is essentially a rehash of something that microsoft previously said earlier this year that call of duty was going to be available on particularly the playstation platform well into you know a couple more years after this acquisition potentially closes so why then it begs the question if you had a guarantee of call of duty still being on your platform for a couple of years would we have situations like the, the news out of the Brazil Administrative Council for Economic Defense or CADE um, coming out where PlayStation was making statements saying, 
Call of Duty is a console seller. It's not fair to have it be, you know, basically owned under one umbrella, that being Xbox. Uh, it's going to hurt us. Like, it seems kind of like a, a, a stab in the back in the sense of you, you're going ahead and you're hedging all your bets. And again, this is going to lead into kind of the next piece of news, um, alluding to what I was saying last week. Um, but it begs the question when we're when we're kind of piecing all this together. It seems like PlayStation really did not have any backup plans whatsoever for Call of Duty. And so as we see more and more of these regulatory agencies going ahead and taking an eye to this Activision Blizzard King deal. I said it wrong last week, so I wanted to clear it up. Um, as we look at more uh, regulatory commissions taking a look at this, this Microsoft ABK deal, um, what we find is... Microsoft is, you know, they're in the business of making money, just like any other company is, just like PlayStation is. PlayStation cannot hide the fact that they are the number one uh, gaming brand worldwide in the space right now, right? The, the numbers just are there. It speaks to that. So why then are they going to go ahead and make such a stink about this deal and particularly about the Call of Duty piece of this, right? Because there's way more IPs that are under ABK than just Call of Duty. Um, so why are they going to make such a stink, especially if uh, Microsoft is going ahead now, Phil Spencer himself is reiterating that Call of Duty is going to be available on their platform for a number of years more. And, you know, if you ask me, looking kind of peeling back the layers on this one, I think it's literally that PlayStation got caught with their pants down. No one expected, and, and realistically, it, it's fair, right? Because no one expected for Microsoft to place a bid for, for ABK to purchase it. They were taking advantage of the market, you know, in a positive way. They were taking advantage of the market as business does when ABK was a really low uh, stock price and they wanted to just come in and, and scoop it up. But obviously, there's a lot more legal ramifications to that. Uh, but Call of Duty was placing so many eggs in, or excuse me, PlayStation was placing so many eggs in the Call of Duty basket that they really got blindsided by this deal uh, and potentially negatively impacted financially by this deal. And so again, why are you going to go ahead and say something if you have the guarantee of this going to be available on all consoles? And I think PlayStation is reading between the lines that Microsoft is going to go ahead and as soon as the deal closes out, all Call of Duty titles, all ABK titles will, if not day one, will eventually make their way over to Game Pass and it'll be part and parcel to the Game Pass subscription, which Sony's not going to be able to compete with period dot, right? They, they already are refusing to go ahead and put their first party titles on the new PlayStation Plus service, which I think is great. Uh, not the fact that they're keeping the day ones off there, but I think that their service is great. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoken about it on the show previously that I'm a subscriber for several years. I am uh, <laughs> unfortunately pretty busy, too busy enough to go ahead and, and delve into uh, a lot of their games. However, they've got a lot of their PS5 titles, Returnal being one of them. Um, Death Stranding, you know, Director's Cut being another one that I've really been looking forward to getting into. I have them downloaded, ready to go on my PS5. I just haven't had the time and the confidence to go ahead and dedicate time into those. Um, but so when you have this, this near apples to apples comparison between these subscription services, right? PlayStation is not going ahead and releasing their day one first parties. So it would hinge the the deals and their subscriber base in my mind would hinge very predominantly on what their third-party deals are and how they could guarantee that 
guaranteed Xbox is not going to go ahead and allow uh, when the deal closes out, if and when the deal closes out, for Call of Duty, one of the major IPs that, that are you know in this deal, to go on to the PlayStation Plus service included with that subscription price when Xbox is going to do exactly that and have it on Game Pass. So I think PlayStation's big stick in the mud is they know, they can see the writing on the wall that that's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a console seller, not in the sense of, oh, look, Call of Duty's over here and not over there. I think 100% Xbox will go ahead and will keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. However, uh, they'll go ahead and most likely do it for a 60, if not a $70 price point, where it's going to be incumbent in their uh, Game Pass subscription that, hey, you go ahead and you subscribe to this service and you're going to have Call of Duty included. And I think that is where the true selling point is going to be. And that's why uh, PlayStation and, and Sony proper are nervous about this because PlayStation has been one of Sony's biggest earning sectors, uh, you know, of their revenue, of their income. And so the idea of going ahead and taking away such a huge potential income and again, like console buying decision-making capability uh, and sending that over or, you know, allowing that deal to happen, not that they have much say in it, but allowing that deal to happen and go over to Microsoft to be in their subscription service um, says two things. One, it begs the question of why didn't PlayStation jump on their own subscription deal and be a little more vicious in that ahead of time? You know, they, they've given their statements about, we think it devalues games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I would argue apparently not when you go ahead and you look at, again, competitors like Forza Horizon 5 that came out day and day with Xbox Game Pass. And within something like the first month, they had 20 million players concurrently, which is about what you look at full-time purchases for titles like Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man or God of War, like literally it's a no brainer. And it seems like PlayStation's leadership just kind of needs to get in the game. So rather than go ahead and try to uh, thwart this deal from happening, what I, I personally think they should do is go ahead and save their money, save their lawyers and start working on what the next major IP would be to try and compete with that. That being said, uh, apparently they are going ahead and kind of moving in that mentality, hopefully, because the next piece of news, uh, this piece came out a couple of days ago, PlayStation, surprise, surprise, is adding yet another studio uh, to their portfolio of first party lineup. So uh, on August 29th, uh, via PlayStation blog, and it also came out in the Twitter share, I know PlayStation blog, gotta love it, right? Um, what a way to go ahead and really welcome folks to the family. Uh, PlayStation went ahead and added Savage Game Studios uh, to their first party portfolio. And you may be wondering if this is the first you're hearing of, you say, who, you know, who's Savage? To be honest, I can't tell you. Uh, I went ahead and I tried to do a little bit of research to look at who Savage Game Studios was. And I couldn't find any particular titles stand out where they were the lead developer. And I say the lead developer because um, in this blog post, PlayStation uh, you know, basically praises Savage Game Studios for their work, saying they're innovative uh, and Savage themselves, saying they've gone ahead and been, uh, to, 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 where did it go? Uh, they have development experience spanning a number of uh, massively successful global IP. That's a, you know, a quote from the, the blog article. Um, but it, I find it interesting that they didn't name any of the IP. 
And so the only thing I'm thinking, uh, Savage went ahead and they were started just a couple of years ago. Again, I, it's difficult for me to find the background on them. They're a predominantly European studio. Um, they've got two different uh, developer houses. Uh, and I can't tell you the name, the name of the games that they're on, right? And so what this begs me to think is kind of twofold. One, if you're going ahead and you're going to say it's a massively successful global IP, uh, first and foremost, if you can't name the IP, that makes me think that you were, or members of your studio were support, either contracted parties or um, support parties with some of these other massively successful IP. Okay, cool. I'm not going to fault them for that. A developer is a developer is a developer. The quality of work that they put out uh, should not necessarily be limited by the title that they put out, right? Like you could have somebody who is, um, for all purposes here, a relative no name in the industry who did something like, uh, I don't know, let's say the sound design on the Ori games uh, for Xbox, right? I think just about anybody you talk to, anybody who's played that, they may not know the name of the individual that worked on sound design for Ori uh, or the, the, you know, the orchestral um, soundtrack for Ori, but they can tell you if they've ever played that game that it is a phenomenal piece of work. So that being said, I'm not knocking individual developers. What I'm a little startled by is how they don't mention what games these folks have been on. So that being said, let's take that aside and, and we'll own it as they were probably in a support role. Um, the other thing that begs the question, it could go one of two ways here. Um, well, really the other way, sorry. So support studio piece. The other way is when you talk about successful global IP, what metric are you using for that, right? Because when we think successful, that in and of itself kind of goes down two lanes, uh, at least as far as gaming is concerned. You've got critical success and you've got financial success, right? Um, not all games are seen equally in that regard. When you look at something like, um, oh, Cal, I, I just had the uh, I just had the title, uh, Sunset Overdrive. There you go. And again, I know I'm like highlighting Xbox stuff right now, right? Uh, Sunset Overdrive. Fantastic title by way of critical acclaim did not really hit commercially and financially. Um, and so that's why we didn't get to see a sequel. However, when you look at that game and you realize, hey, it's made by Insomniac, which is now a PlayStation first party studio. The foundation of Sunset Overdrive led to there. There are some definite odes there led to the development of Marvel Spider-Man and being such a, a critical success in the sense of how fluid the game is, uh, the visual appeal, et cetera, right? So here we go again with developers kind of building off their experience. So these guys may be able to go ahead and build off their experience, whatever that may be. You know, I'm a little shortchanged here in presenting to you guys some of the games that they've worked on because quite frankly, I don't know them. I can't see them anywhere. And no one that I've seen uh, in, in the social sphere or otherwise has talked about games that these folks have worked on. Uh, but then we have to wonder, is this successful in the critical sense? If it was, then you probably would have gone ahead and you would be talking about it and name dropping the IP. Or is this in the financial sense, which leads into the other part of this blog post um, where Herman Hulse, the head of PlayStation Studios, also announced that PlayStation will be starting a mobile division with Savage Game Studios as one of the main players in that. So why then... Is PlayStation going to go ahead and start a mobile division? Well, clearly, 
you know, it's something that if they were looking at branching out, which I beg the question, right? I beg the question because we have these ponies out there and I use the term lovingly because I guess to some degree I am, but we have these folks that PlayStation can do no wrong. PlayStation must stay on the console. Why would the company go ahead and branch out into the mobile space if they weren't either actually or potentially fearful of a loss in falling behind in that first place category in in gaming income uh, or if they were literally knowing as i alluded to in the last show that stuff like the ps5 price hike was going to have a negative impact on them so i brought this up um to mow them down to snipe 90 offline in our chat um mo seems to have this impression that um this you know he's he sticks by his point and i'm gonna i'm gonna speak for him here so he's gonna be very upset on the next episode no doubt um but he sticks to his point that playstation is not going to get hurt by the ps5 you know price hike etc cetera, etc cetera. i distinctly think they are um because especially as we see stuff like uh, the game that we'll talk about here following, they needed to branch out because by going in and having a single revenue stream, right? A single thing in console sales, if something happens to that revenue stream, if something happens to that production line, not much unlike what we've seen recently, you're going to feel it as the company, especially then if you make a move like PlayStation did and pass on uh, that cost to the consumer, you're going to feel it hands down. Um, and so I liken this to, and this is kind of what I was getting at last week, right? When we saw it's not completely apples to apples. There are other, uh, bits associated with this, but like we saw with the tremendous cost of GPUs previously, right? It was, um, kind of a perfect storm because obviously to Matt's point, um, you had the crypto miners that were going ahead and were trying to take advantage of the sales like crazy, but why were these uh, GPUs coming out at the prices that they were in the first place? Well, first off, you had the production issues. Uh, and second off, you went ahead. Oh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, first off, you had the production issues. Uh, and second off, they knew that they could charge those prices. So that was pretty bad to begin with. Um, but they wanted to go ahead and take advantage. Ah, man, I completely lost where I was going with that. Regardless. Um, we've seen that now that some of those production issues have levied up and some of the, uh, let's just say the price gouging for lack of another term has kind of subsided a bit. We're seeing GPU prices come into a little more of the mainstream, but Nvidia, uh, didn't need Nvidia particularly, right? You have Nvidia and AMD. We're going to see Intel enter the space here soon with GPUs specifically. Uh, but they didn't need to go ahead and do anything with the pricing because they weren't worried about not making their money. The demand was there. Uh, and so they were able to do that where Nvidia also makes software solutions for other things. When you're talking about PlayStation, right? Obviously Sony, they kind of have other products, but when you're talking about PlayStation specifically, they've got their first party games which we've already kind of talked about in, in previous episodes, right? Herman Hulse went ahead and brought up how, or excuse me, not even Herman Hulse. I want to say it was Jim, Jim Ryan, uh, the head of, of PlayStation, uh, Sony Computer Entertainment America. Uh, I'm mixing up titles now. Jim Ryan, head of PlayStation. Um, he went ahead and he brought up how 
uh, he wanted to see the opportunity for some of these titles grow and how it was upsetting to see titles like God of War uh, 2018 only reach something like 20,000 or 20 million, excuse me, in sales. They want to see more of that attachment rate. But if you're going ahead and you're passing on the cost to consumers, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to feel that and it's going to affect your bottom line, right? All they had is the first party. All they had is the uh, consoles, which historically have not gone ahead and brought in a lot of income. Cool. Ice, we get it. Let's move along. Okay, cool. So why is PlayStation going ahead and forming a mobile division? Because they saw this coming. They saw the production issues coming. They saw that they were going to take something of a hit, most likely. Uh, yes, demand of the console is at you know a relative all-time high. But when you go ahead and you raise the price of that product, when people are going ahead and potentially, right? Some Sometimes gamers go ahead and try to nickel and dime to be able to afford these things. Um, and we in the U.S. don't always see some of the impacts, like in Brazil, where the cost of the game is tremendously higher uh, than the equivalent of what we would pay here in the U.S. or Australia, another region where traditionally game costs is much higher. PlayStation saw this coming. This is just my opinion, right? PlayStation saw this coming, and so they knew they needed to branch out, and they needed to branch out quick. Uh, unfortunately, this is a move that I think they should have probably done two or three years ago um, as we were getting into um, the pandemic and we were starting to see things get affected game development wise and folks staying at home and everything, it would have been a perfect time to go ahead and be able to release as they're talking about doing now with Savage Game Studios, you know, a, a PlayStation AAA title in the mobile space. They're just now getting to it. They're just now announcing it. At least they have no details as far as when that's going to be coming about, but you can probably expect in the mobile game space development takes somewhere around two to three years. Um, Sometimes they can fast track it, especially if you're talking about you're going to have Savage working under the PlayStation uh, umbrella. And so they may have a lot of support structure there to go ahead and expedite that process. But we're probably not going to see anything from this for another two years. So I still stand in my position that PlayStation is going to feel the impact of the PS5 price hike and quite frankly, not announcing a lot of first party IP. And again, combination, not going ahead and releasing uh, those first party titles day and date with the PlayStation Plus service, which would go ahead and I think increase their subscriber base. Again, coming from a place of love, I own a PS5, I've owned a PS4 Pro and a PS4. Uh, I got my PS3 back there that I was uh, on the fence about going ahead and hooking up this next week to go back and play some classic stuff. Um, it's coming from a place of love that I want to see them succeed. I just think business-wise, they're a little behind the curve in some of these decisions. But nevertheless, happy to hear that they're expanding their first uh, party um, you know, studios, and we'll see how that happens. Um, that being said, PlayStation did go ahead and have another IP release that we just saw in The Last of Us Part 1 uh, on Open Critic, it's coming in at roughly an 88, and on Metacritic, it's coming in at an 89. Uh, it begs some questions um, because this is something that was specifically made for the PS5. So again, how much are they hurting themselves by the PS5 price hike? Um, obviously, folks got their hands on it, not just you know the press to be able to play this. Um, not too many, at least from my initial view, not too many of the consumer reviews are coming in super high, but let's let the dust settle a little bit. Usually the first month of review period is kind of wonky. Um, 
I mean, look at uh, Gran Turismo 7, for example. That did not look super great um, when it came out, and there was a lot of patch updates and whatnot. So now we're starting to see where the dust has settled on that release and and some of the, the critic scores uh, as well as user scores on that. Nevertheless, Last of Us Part 1, specifically for PS5, later coming out for PC, that's the one that I'll really be interested uh, when we go ahead and we see that game get released for PC, what kind of numbers, what kind of reviews it does, uh, because that's going to be your brand new audience that hasn't played a Last of Us title before, particularly Last of Us, um, when we're talking about it came out on, oh shoot, PS3, Last of Us Remastered came out on PS4, um, you know, this is like the third or fourth release of this game now, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when you get it to a whole new audience, and that will kind of stoke the flames on if everybody on the critical consumer side is right by saying, yes, you need to keep pushing this stuff to PC, you need to push into mobile, you need to branch out. Um, because quite frankly, having one revenue stream is just shortchanging themselves, and it's probably going to hurt. Moving on to our next topic. Now we're out of, out of news, kind of, not really. Um, we went ahead and we wrapped up Gamescom last week. Hopefully everybody got to go ahead and kind of see um, you know, what went down by way of Gamescom. Wasn't a whole lot of new stuff. Um, you know, we're kind of seeing the tail end, hopefully what remains to be the tail end of um, COVID and development cycle issues and delays, et cetera, right? Uh, but Gamescom went ahead and they had their um, had their game awards. Believe it or not, they have game awards. So just about every conference, it seems, has game awards. And so uh, just to rattle through these, and I'll talk about them a little bit in depth. Uh, the best action adventure game came in for Lies of P. That was the winner. Um, and so this is kind of interesting to me. Um, Liza P is a tale about Pinocchio. Okay. Weird already for me to begin with. Um, but it's basically like action adventure slash RPG. You go through it, you, you have to tell truths or lies and it leads to, uh, the story arc of how Pinocchio develops. It looks very, uh, Bloodborne or Elden Ring-esque, um, you know, Dark Soulsy. So, remains to be seen how well that's going to strike because I feel like those games that I just mentioned uh, have a very cult and rabid consumer base. But when you're talking something like this, if this follows in that vein, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to strike. I'll be really interested to see when it comes out later on. Best action game went to Metal Hellslinger. Uh, Hellsinger, excuse me. So um, this is the game that you're going ahead. This is by Outsiders. And sorry, Lies of P is by Neowitz. Uh, Neo Wiz. God, I'm just all over the place with pronunciation, guys. Forgive me. Uh, but Metal Hellslinger coming from the Outsiders. That's the one you've probably seen it before. You're basically going ahead and slaying demons. It's a gunplay game. Uh, and you've got a heavy metal soundtrack going on in the background. Uh, some of which, if not most of which, uh, is uh, specially developed and written for that game. Uh, you've got uh, like folks from, I want to say, uh, System of a Down, um, I know that name specifically, you know, the lead singer's in there and they have a couple others, um, but it looks to be like kind of a rage out sesh. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a Doom clone because it has its own flair, its own look, uh, but definitely if that's something that appeals to you, you know, if heavy rock, heavy metal music appeals to you and gunslinging FPS appeals to you, play the game, try it out. Uh, best family game went to Paper Trail. So I thought this one from Newfangled Games, um, was kind of interesting. 
you go ahead and it's a oh, man, how to describe this one. I, I read the descriptions before going ahead and airing, but I want to I want to put it in my own words. Right. So uh, it seems something like a, a 2D paper based platformer, if that makes sense. You're going ahead and you're kind of folding papers over. It's, it's a puzzle type game, um, but you're going ahead and telling a story and moving the character uh, throughout the course of their story by maneuvering the world around them in the form of folding paper. So it's kind of interesting uh, if you've ever done, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, origami type stuff, you know, like making shapes out of paper, not shapes necessarily, but being able to form new images and whatnot. Uh, it looks kind of cool. It's something that I will probably get into. Um, definitely, definitely something I want to try out, I think for myself. The best indie game went to <laughs> Inclunati, Inculinati, sorry, pronunciation, from Yaza Games and uh, Daedalic Entertainment. So this one kind of interesting. It's a strategy. It's an ink-based strategy game. So you're going ahead and you can play a couple different characters, I guess, and you're drawing your way through. You got different uh, characters that you go ahead and, and bring into the fold, soldiers and, and warriors that are in animal form. Uh, and they go ahead and they kind of have their own HP and you know skill points or whatever, and they duke it out. Um, so it's a little interesting. It's, it's an indie style that I haven't seen before, uh, in, you know, several years of gaming, but it's something I'll probably be willing to get my hands on. Best multiplayer game went to Warhammer 40,000 Darktide by Fat Shark. So this one, if you've seen it before, uh, you go ahead and you have the opportunity to play as, uh, one in a four person squad and you're going through, it falls into the Warhammer, uh, 40,000 universe. Um, a bunch of different factions kind of going at it. Uh, your squad is, if I remember right, released from prison on condition of going ahead and defending the empire from the onslaught of this, this horde. Um, so it looks kind of interesting. Each character has their own, you know, skills and abilities kind of deal, but it's a nice little squad based, uh, shooter to play. Best ongoing game went to Sea of Thieves. I don't imagine I need to talk much more about Sea of Thieves. They, they are now in season seven, I want to say. Um, and they've added a couple of new personalization aspects like going ahead and being able to name your ship um, and customize the captain's quarters and do a couple other things. Uh, I've yet to get into season seven. Uh, sea of Thieves is one of those that, to its detriment, I would say, is a game that you could really get involved in, but you really need to get involved in it. You've got to dedicate a couple hours to going ahead and playing that game. And uh, it's not something every adult really has the time for, but um, I really love Sea of Thieves. I love playing a pirate. Um, I wish, um, and I probably will at some point uh, with all the other stuff I got going on, try to cut out some time to go ahead and play more of that. Best RPG uh, went to Lies of P. So we already talked about that one. Best sports game went to AEW Fight Forever by Ukes Co. Limited and THQ Nordic. So this is a wrestling style game. Um, I'm not sure what to make of it. I think it was kind of new on the scene or is new on the scene. And we need to see a little bit more of it for me to form an opinion about it. Um, it looks like it's trying to go ahead and take on the likes of like a, a 2K wrestling or something like that. Um, WWE 2K, right? Um, but yet to be seen what that's going to do. Uh, it's out of THQ Nordic. So this is, this is great in the sense of here we go with Embracer Group coming with something 
uh, new and somewhat different. So it's probably going to be multi-platform, I believe. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how that goes. It got best sports game uh, at Gamescom. So that's saying something. Best strategy or simulation game goes to Ixion. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. From Bulwark Studios and Calypso Media Group. Um, basically, it seems like a strategy game uh, where you're going ahead and you're managing a space station, a pretty cool looking space station, um, as well as you know managing resources, the people on it, etc. It's got its own civilization there. So kind of making sure that everything functions and nobody dies. Best original, or excuse me, most original game went to <laughs> Inculanati. So I got to make sure I try and remember to say that correctly in the future. Um, so once again, it's the ink-based strategy game. Uh, most wanted Microsoft Xbox game. Kind of interested that 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 one uh, that they have categories for these. But most wanted Microsoft Xbox game goes to Last Case of Benedict Fox. Uh, that's by Plot Twist and Rogue Games Inc. If you remember, uh, this is the one where you're basically playing this detective. Um, and if I recall, he's trying to find out what happens to his dad. Um, but there's essentially a demon that is accompanying him the entire way, going ahead and giving some extra dialogue, uh, maybe helping him or hurting him along the path. Most wanted Nintendo Switch game goes to Tin Hearts uh, by Rogue Sun and Wire Productions. This looked kind of cool. I was actually pretty interested. Um, when watching the trailer, I'm very curious what, what engine they use because it almost looks like it could be like an Unreal 5, um, which would be the first I've heard of for um, a Nintendo Switch game. But it looks interesting. You play kind of like these toy soldiers, if you will, uh, that work their way through the house on some type of story. Uh, and there's a lot of obstacles and challenges to overcome along the way. Some you may think kind of kind of par for the course. Others, not so much. So definitely something I was interested in uh, for a Switch title. Most Wanted PC game goes to Metal Hell Singer once again. Most Wanted Sony PlayStation game, Lies of P. And the Consumer Awards uh, for Best Booth went to Bandai Namco Entertainment. Again, uh, you know, Gamescom looks very similar to uh, like an E3, except in Europe and honestly probably bigger and better. Um, so Bandai Namco having their, their booth win says something good for them and a lot of the properties that they're going ahead and showcasing there. Uh, and then the Best Trailer went to Hogwarts Legacy by Warner Brothers. Um, everybody, I think, is kind of looking forward to Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know, and I can't recall if we went ahead and mentioned on the show previously, it got moved. It had a, uh, I believe it was early December uh, release date, and now that's moved to, I want to say, February. So again, 2023 looking, looking pretty packed. Um, yeah, <laughs> just looking pretty packed. Um, and Hogwarts Legacy being... Uh, no slouch in that regard. A lot of folks are looking forward to that. Uh, otherwise, the Gamescom Global Awards uh, went to Yuki uh, for the Green Award. For Best Lineup, it went to Play On. And then for the Heart of Gaming Award, it went to Game Industry Solidarity Campaigns for Ukraine. So uh, I think all of those are respective winners in their own rights. Uh, you know, for Green Gaming, the Best Lineup, that being, uh, I'm going to say with publishing, question mark. Uh, and then the heart of gaming, I think everybody still feels what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Um, and it's, you know, very unfortunate. We'd love to see uh, that conflict come to an end and 
the people of Ukraine um, get some peace and uh, the folks of Russia get some chill. Uh, that being said, or particularly the governments over in Russia. Excuse me. That being said, that moves us into release radar. You guys knew that was coming, right? Um, so going ahead and looking at, we started uh, September now. We went ahead and we kind of talked uh, on the show last week about everything that was coming out through the rest of August. So I won't go ahead and uh, repeat on that one. But for September coming up for uh, a couple of weeks now, we've got Ooblets, which came out September 1st on Xbox uh, series, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle R came out on PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Again, we'll just say everything. On September 2nd, Lego Brawls. I have no idea about this game, guys. I'm really looking forward to it, though, because I love the Lego games. Uh, coming out PS5 for, uh, we'll say everything, uh, on September 2nd, or it came out on September 2nd. Uh, made in Abyss binary star falling into darkness talk about a subtitle uh on ps4 switch and pc september 2nd last was part one as we said came out on ps5 on september 2nd maybe you guys have got your hands on that already biomutant we saw the uh or we will be seeing the upgraded versions for ps5 and xbox series consoles uh come out on september 6th Temtem or tem tem coming out on ps5 uh, Xbox Series, Switch, and PC, September 6th. The Tomorrow Children, Phoenix Edition, PS5 and PS4, September 6th. Jack Move on September 8th. Steel Rising on PS5, Xbox Series, and PC, September 8th. NBA 2K23 on everything on September 9th. Uh, Splatoon 3, that should be a banger, coming out on Switch, September 9th. Little Orpheus uh, on everything. September 13th, Scourgebringer on iOS and Android, September 13th, and, <laughs> and You Suck at Parking coming out on Xbox Series, Xbox One, PC, September 14th. So uh, of that list, I don't have the, the other players here, if you will, to go ahead and tell me what they're looking forward to. I want to get my hands on Last of Us Part 1. Honestly, though, I've kind of played that game a couple times. Uh, I, I'm ashamed to say I've yet to finish it. Same thing with Last of Us Part 2. I haven't even started, but I own it. I'm the worst, guys. I'm the worst. My backlog is, is terribly long right now. Uh, that being said, uh, I want to probably see what LEGO Brawls is about. And that might be it for me. I'll, I'll toss it over to Mr. Sight90 to, uh, next week, uh, presumably next week, to go ahead and talk to us about Splatoon 3. I'm going to assume he's going to get his hands on it. Uh, and that being said, we've got a whole host of stuff to go ahead and talk to you guys about next week. Uh, that being said, what we've been doing, what we've been playing, I am, uh, going ahead and taking, uh, I'm very fortunate that I've got the holiday off, uh, that being Labor Day here in the U S. Um, but I'm also going to be taking a couple extra days, much needed. Uh, a lot of stuff has gone on in the house. I need to go ahead and take a little downtime, downtime for family, uh, time to R and R if you will, as well as work on some things like <laughs> the G3 website. Um, and maybe do a little uh, post-production on the show. Uh, I also need to do some personal study stuff. So that being said, I'll be taking some time off. I'll most likely still be on the show for the next week or two. Um, what I've been playing, I went ahead and got deep, deep into 
um, the Forza Horizon 5 Hot Wheels uh, DLC. I wanted to give it a shot. I didn't really give a shot into uh, the previous Hot Wheels DLC for Forza Horizon 3. Uh, and quite frankly, something about this one was bite-sized enough. It got me hooked. Uh, I think I'm like one, maybe two races away from the Hot Wheels Legend title, um, which also means I've only got like two or three achievements left in that whole DLC. Um, so uh, it, it was kind of cool. Uh, I definitely like what they did with it. I like that it was bite-sized enough where if you really got into it, it would take you about a weekend to finish, I would say. Um, so if you're into the Forza games, uh, particularly the Forza Horizon games, and you kind of like the idea of Hot Wheels DLC, this isn't in Mexico proper. It's set some 50 miles above Mexico. Um, but that allowed them a bit of creativity and ingenuity to kind of do some some different stuff with the tracks. Um, yeah, it's a nice take. It's a nice take. It's, it's not too much, not too little. It's kind of sweet spot by way of DLC. Um, otherwise, I went ahead. I have avoided <laughs> Slay the Spire uh, to the best I can. Uh, and somehow, some way, um, the ping hit me just right where I also went ahead and got back into um, Tom Clancy's The Division uh, on Xbox. So I wanted to see. Um, it's been a while since I've, I've gotten in and beat the game. Uh, I have not really delved into that DLC as much, but I wanted to see what they were doing and kind of embrace it by way of like the world tier system, um, which they introduced, uh, if memory serves in the, uh, the division two, they introduced that and then they brought it back into the division one could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I wanted to see kind of what they were doing with that. Uh, and you know, there's something about the, the grind, if you will, um, trying to spec out your kit, whether it's customization or, um, effects weapons effects and stuff like that um whether they be exotic or legendary or, or what have you that kind of appeals to me i never got a chance to really delve into destiny um i did delve quite a bit into the division back when so i think that's kind of what drew me back and just randomly i don't know what it was it was like you know what let me check this out um so that being said that's been me uh there's gonna be a whole lot more uh by way of back end work on the podcast i'm gonna get the guys back on whether they like it or not <laughs> so you won't be hearing my monotone self the whole time uh and hopefully you guys are taking this opportunity taking this kind of lull period right we're we're unfortunately in a lull period because of game delays that we saw previously we've had a handful of things that have come out a handful of things that are still coming out high on life coming out in december uh on uh, xbox and i believe on pc as well uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. I, I wasn't as much, and now it's kind of warming its way for me. Um, and then also the upcoming announcements for uh, PlayStation Plus coming out for September, Deathloop being one of those. Dude, I, I've been a holdout. Just, you know, when we look at it, it's been like, why am I going to go ahead and buy this game um, when I have so much of a backlog already? So, it will unfortunately get added to the backlog, but the ability for me to download that and be able to play it on PS5 when I can, you know, either break free or someone get around to it, I'm really looking forward to. So um, there's plenty of other titles to come, but be sure to go ahead and check out, you know, your respective service, whether it be uh, Xbox for the Game Pass, PlayStation for the PS Plus, Nintendo's got a couple titles that they've also come out with for Switch Online. Um, so be sure to, to check in with that. If you're in with the subscription service, and if not, uh, I wish you power and joy and great gaming with 
all of what you've got going on right now, catching whether it's a backlog or brand new titles. So with that being said, remember guys, uh, go ahead and like, subscribe, check us out on all of our, all of the uh, socials, all of your favorite streaming platforms. Uh, we hope to get things back up and running here shortly on YouTube. Uh, and that being said, uh, for all you guys out there, thank you for the support. Thank you for your continued support. And remember, gaming's greatest generation is the one you guys are a part of. Thanks for listening to the Gaming's Greatest Generation podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. If you have any feedback for the show or would like to contribute ideas, feel free to call 702-690-9292 or email us at gamingsgreatestgeneration at gmail.com. You can also join the Discord community by following the link in the show notes. See you next time.